We are continuing uh, today with our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark, and what we're doing uh, this summer is uh, we're, we're just walking our way through the Gospel of Mark, and we're calling this sermon series The Cross and the Crown, and this is because uh, the, the, the theme of service and the theme of authority is, is within Mark's Gospel and is applied to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He's the king and he is a servant. But one of the unique things about Mark's gospel, and you see this uh, when you read Mark um, uh, on your own, and I really encourage you to do so. But if you read Mark and you hold Mark up and compare it with Matthew or Luke or John and other gospel, and those three other gospels, you'll find out that Mark is very unique in the sense of its pace. If you just go through and read Mark 1, Mark 2, you'll see the word immediately pop up immediately, over and over and over again. And this is because the pace of Mark is very quick. It's very brief. And this is very, so this is the context for when we get to this text that we're looking at today, Mark 5, 21 through 43. And when we get to this passage, it gets really drawn out. And when Mark does this, he wants us to really slow down. And when, well, because Mark is slowing down, he wants us to really recognize that he's slowing down for a reason. And so let's look at that reason, because that reason is pretty significant to our life. And so I'm reading, um, this is uh, Mark 5, verses 21 through 43, and I'm reading from the ESV. So let's give our careful attention to reading of God's word. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she, that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the, gar- in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately... The flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. 
taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was about 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that your spirit would be at work in our hearts and our lives right now, that we would uh, know what it means to uh, follow you uh, today. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Last night, my friend Pat gave me a phone call at 9.30, and he, Pat called me this late because his two uh, children, who are both teenagers, were traveling with another friend of theirs, and they were stranded in the Philadelphia airport. And so Pat's calling me just to be like, hey, Robbie, can you just be on standby? Uh, maybe uh, my kids need a place to stay. Maybe, like, I don't know what. Um, and I could hear the desperation in my friend Pat's voice. And so I said, sure, whatever you need, uh, we're here to help. And so he hung up. I didn't hear back from him for about an hour and a half. And he calls me back at 11. He's like, you're good. You're off the hook. Like, have a good Sunday. And like, uh, we, in fact, he goes on and shares, he shares that they, someone else is checking his kids into the hotel that they're st- they were staying at last night. But here's the situation my friend Pat is in. Here are his two children who are both minors, and they're, they're traveling by themselves with a friend, and something completely unexpected happens. And, and all my friend Pat knew at the time when he called me, he's like, I have no idea why their flight was canceled, but I could hear the the helplessness in his voice. I could hear just the emotional urgency in his voice. And it was, as I was on the receiving end of the phone call, I was like, I'm confused. And I could, and I just heard my friend's emotions. And I was like, man, whatever you need, we're here to help. And, but like, think about your own life for a moment. Whenever you have situations that are completely unexpected like that, how do you respond? How do you respond? Because within our culture, it will, like, we have this pressure to just uh, step up, to embrace this moment, and just to demonstrate how uh, self-sufficient, how composed, how well you can handle yourself under pressure. That is a pressure that we face and feel within our culture. But when we do that, when we really do that, we will give the impression that we're not really helpless, that we actually can take, handle things in stride, that we are very self-sufficient. So that, that's one response to how we respond to the unexpected. Or do we respond to these unexpected moments by actually saying, help, because we truly are helpless? This is a situation in our text, this is a situation where we not only see one person who is helpless and in despair coming to Jesus, we actually see two people with two very different situations coming to Jesus because they're helpless and they are both in despair. But Jesus, and Jesus actually responds to them very similarly, but Jesus also responds to them very differently. And how I want us to think about this text today is I want to think about the fact that there is an element of despair in this text, and there's also an element of delay. Because what we see going on in, this, in, our, in our story is that Jesus actually delays going to heal Jairus' daughter. 
And so the idea that I want us to lean into today is this, is that God sometimes works slowly in our lives to challenge us. God works slowly in our lives to challenge us. Very specifically, he's challenging our pride. He's challenging our self-sufficiency. And so waiting upon God challenges our pride, but also waiting upon God makes us humble. So that's the whole big idea I want us to think about this morning. But the outline is both uh, despair and delay. So let's start off with despair. And our story starts out where a leader of the synagogue comes to Jesus. And it's immediately, like Jesus is crossing the sea. And as soon as he crosses the sea, a crowd surrounds him. And that's when this ruler of the synagogue shows up. Jesus is just arriving in town. And so this guy has heard the reports of Jesus. He has heard of Jesus' travel plans. And then he just shows up essentially at the airport to take him straight to his house. And so Jesus hears the situation that this 12-year-old is sick, she's near death, and Jairus asks him to come home and heal her. He says, my little girl is at the point of death, come and lay hands on her, that she would be made well and lived. And so it's pretty obvious that this man either knows firsthand that he has witnessed Jesus' healing, or he has heard that Jesus is a healer, and so he wants... Jesus to come and heal his daughter. That's pretty obvious. But Jesus says, yes, let's go. And so they're on their way to Jairus' house. So they're leaving. But, and they're at this point, as they're going from the, really the, the coast to, the, they're going from the beach to Jairus' house, there's a crowd surrounding Jesus. But that's not even the language that Mark uses. There's a crowd thronging around Jesus. Now, we don't really use this word thronging, in our language whatsoever, we just say, man, it's packed in here. I could, it was so packed, I could hardly move. That's how we would think about it. And that's exactly how, Mark, that's the entire image that Mark is giving. So if you think about the time you were at a concert, it was so packed, you could not move. Or you're, you're getting through uh, the line at the New York City uh, subway or after some, or some sporting event. Like, it's just really packed. It's crammed. People are pressing in on you. But that's not just the image that Mark has. Jesus is here as a religious leader. Everyone is there to see him. When we go to a concert, we're there to see the musicians. And so people are like pushing against us to get to the musicians. But in this moment, everyone's trying to get through the crowd to get to Jesus. Like whether it's shaking his hand, touching his garment, like, hey, Jesus, remember me. You healed me. Like who knows what type of situation that all these people were pressing on Jesus with. But that's the situation. Everyone's pressing in and against Jesus. And then it's at that moment, all of a sudden, Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And his disciples are like, what do you mean who touched you? Ten people right now are touching you, trying to shake your hand. And Jesus goes on to explain what is going on. Like Mark puts it, power, Jesus felt power leaving his body. And that's, the, 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 from Jairus' perspective, that's all he knew. And it's like, so even Jairus' mentality is represented for us in the disciples, but there's also something else going on in Jairus' mind. He's like, my little girl is sick at home, and you're wondering who touched you? My word, you're a quirky teacher. That's what Jairus would really be thinking right now. And so the disciples are dumbfounded, just like Jairus. And 
then, like, Jesus is not satisfied with the disciples' answers or anything else. And then all of a sudden, a woman steps forward. And this is, this is what we learn from, from this woman is that, um, and this is actually, this passage that we're looking at is actually in two other uh, accounts in both Matthew and, and Luke. And in the, those other parallel accounts, we read that the, the falling line, when, she's, when this woman sees that Jesus was unrelenting with his questions, that's when she revealed herself. And so she throws herself at Jesus' feet. But the, and this is the language. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. So here's this woman who is there. And, and this entire situation uh, happens over some time. And we know this just because of how the story is told. Like, we actually know a considerable amount about this woman. That this woman has come to Jesus in great despair. She's had this, this bleeding going on for, tw- for 12 years. And she's coming to Jesus. And she has suffered much under many physicians. So she has gone to doctor after doctor after doctor. She's tried treatment after treatment after treatment, taking medication, taking home remedies, trying everything to see herself healed. And so she comes to Jesus at the end of her rope. She comes to Jesus in her despair. She comes to Jesus in her helplessness. And she says to herself that if I only touch his garment, then I would be healed. She comes to Jesus, yes, she's helpless, but she comes to Jesus with hope. She comes to Jesus with faith. But let me just lean into the particulars that we know about her. That she's been bleeding for 12 years, and the, the language that Mark uses is the same language that's used in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus. That there's something going on with her reproductive system that's causing this great pain. And in the light of the law that we, the laws we find in Leviticus, because of this bleeding, she is constantly in a state of uncleanness. She's constantly in a state of impurity. And so here she is. She's coming to Jesus, and she's a social outcast. She has not been able to participate in temple worship. She has not been able to participate in the assembly of the Israelite people. But she's coming to Jesus. Here's a social outcast coming to Jesus with hope and and faith that she could be healed. She's coming to Jesus sick and tired of being sick and tired. She's coming to Jesus tired of being in pain. She comes to Jesus completely helpless. And that's the first point that we learn about faith. This is the first lesson that we learn about coming to Jesus. Because faith, the very first thing to know about faith is that faith is admitting and embracing your helpless. That's the first lesson of this passage, that we are helpless. That if we're going to have life with God, you need, you have to come to the end of yourself. You, but that's not, that's not the rest of the story. That's the first lesson. The second lesson is that you must come to Jesus. So you must come to Jesus in desperation. You don't just come to Jesus to get salvation. You come to Jesus because he is your salvation. He is your salvation, period. It's much more personal than one who is just handing out goods. 
And so what we see right here is that Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the rescuer. Jesus is your friend. And so what the big picture that we have at this moment is that we come to, we need to come to Jesus in, in our helplessness. We need to come to Jesus in our despair. And, but when we come to Jesus, we're saying that it's, the, what we are saying is this, that you alone can heal us. You alone can help us. And at that moment, when, when Jesus sees this woman, he's like, this is what he says. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And be healed of your disease. So we see Jesus giving healing to this woman because she comes to him. She comes to him in her despair. She comes to him in her helplessness. And so, but just to pause right here. What we see here is something else. What we see here is that the first reason that people don't find Jesus is not because they, they have too little faith. The reason why people don't find Jesus is because they have too much pride. So what we see right here is that this woman is healed because she's coming to Jesus in her humility. She's coming to Jesus in her vulnera- vulnerability. And what we see later on in this story at Jairus' house is what we see is that there are people who are in their pride and in their smug arrogance, they're, they, they, they see Jesus. And when Jesus says, hey, why, why are you weeping? Why, are you, why all the commotion? When Jesus says that, he's like, hey, she's just asleep. That, that's when the crowd actually laughs at him and mocks at him. He's like, don't you know like when a, a dead person when you see a dead person? Like the, so what we see right there is that they are... The crowd is very proud, and that pride actually prevents them from witnessing a greater miracle than a healing. Their pride actually cuts them off and prevents them from witnessing a resurrection. And so this passage as a whole really demonstrates that if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to come to Jesus in our humility. We need to be embracing our helplessness and looking to Jesus as our helper, That's what this woman does. She comes to Jesus looking for Jesus to be her helper. And Jesus knows that it's our pride that prevents us from having faith. But before, uh, and so this is actually something else that's going on here. Jesus calls out the woman. He, He knows that the power has gone out from his body. But let's just pause there for a moment. At that moment in our story, before this woman was called out by Jesus, before she came forward, in her mind... In her mind, what would she be thinking healed her? Healed her? Is it just touching the garment of Jesus that healed her? Or is, did Jesus himself heal her? That is a, an important distinction to be made. And that's why Jesus calls her out. Jesus wants to correct her faith, actually. Because here he sees this woman coming to him in her, her, in her helplessness. But he's like, my, it's not be, my clothes didn't heal you. I healed you. So Jesus calls her out in order to correct and to correct her. But Jesus calls her out to say, like, like it's not my garment that healed you. I'm the one who healed you. So it's not just a, a Jesus correcting her. There's actually this invitation, invitation, invitation to relationship going on. Jesus says, I want you to see me as your healer and as your helper. I'm your help. That's what Jesus is after here. And so a question for our lives is that, is Jesus calling you out today? Is Jesus calling you to recognize that he is your helper, that he is your help? 
is Jesus calling you out today? At this point, that's the, the first question I have for you. Is Jesus calling you out? Let's move on to our second point. And our second point is de- delay. Now, just let's notice Jesus' priorities here because they are funny. They are really funny uh, in, in a few ways. The, this woman right now, is she's coming to Jesus, and she's a social outcast. She's unclean. And, but right next to Jesus is a religious leader of the synagogue. If you look at the two of them, one's an outcast, one is a, a cultural influencer. Like that if uh, Jesus goes to help Jairus, all of a sudden his, his platform would increase a hundredfold. But Jesus pauses, stops, and heals this woman. Like so what we see right there, Jesus' priority is to help this, this woman who's a social outcast. And that delay is frustrating to the religious leader. That's just, that's just one element here. But there's another priority here. Because the priority is that here's this 12-year-old daughter who's, who is really at death's door. And then here's this woman who has had this chronic discharge for 12 years. Now, there's been some instances over the past year I've had to go to the ER. And to see my, all my ER visits recently is because of my son. And so one ER visit was when he tripped and he bonked his head and he had a little gash uh, from our coffee table. And we get there, and, but we're just sitting in the, in the waiting room for like an hour or so. Another time, we're at dinner and, and like we're eating, and Jennifer notices that Liam's breaking out in hives and that he is being rather lethargic. And we're like, okay, what's going on? So we go to the ER. And as soon as we get to the ER, they say, just come straight through the door and go to this bed. And it's just like automatically, it was like there was... There was no wait whatsoever for us to get care. So in the eyes of the ER, like here's a life-threatening moment where there could be an allergic reaction and there's a cut on your son's forehead. It's it's that type of thing. Here is this child, a 12-year-old girl who's on death's door, and here's a woman who's had a chronic disease and who could probably wait two more hours. Jesus' priorities are, are on display here. Jesus is, is seeking to meet the, the need of this, this one woman here. So, and so, but in many ways, this is irrational. Jesus has different priorities to, to look at right here. And so let's pause here and think about our own lives. Because quite clearly, Jesus is delaying. And let's think about our own lives. Because we hate delays. When it comes to God in our, in our lives, like we, sometimes we come to God when uh, the things are going well in our life. But if we're all being honest, more likely than not, we, that's not when we go to God. But we actually always go to God, most of the time, I should say. Most of the time we go to God when we are actually in great need. When we are aware of our need. That's when we go to God. And so both of these, uh, these people, this woman and Jairus, are coming to God in their need. They're coming to God, they're coming to Jesus in their helplessness and in, even in their despair. But Jesus delays to help Jairus. Why does he delay? Why does he delay? And like perhaps you're in that boat now. Perhaps you're in the midst of God delaying answer, answering your prayers. Because perhaps you have been praying for a, a new job. Perhaps you've been praying for God to work in your marriage and transform it. Perhaps you've been praying for uh, friends and emotional support or romance. Perhaps you've even been praying for deliverance from a habitual sin or a struggle or, or physical illness. Who knows? 
But that is a picture of, of pretty much all of our lives at one point or another. But oftentimes, sometimes when we take our needs to God in prayer, we feel like all we are meeting is silence. That's how we feel at times. That like we take our needs to God. God tells us, hey, come to him with all our needs and bring our prayers, bring our needs, bring our celebrations to him. God calls on us, us to do that. And so when we do that and all we, meet, we, feel, we hear or feel is silence, what's going on in that moment is that God is delaying. In other words, we have actually all been in the situation Jarius has been at in, in different ways. And so in that moment, that delay causes us to question the, some very important, very basic things about ourselves, about God, about who he is, about faith. And that is, in fact, disorienting. When we encounter God's delay, when we encounter that type of silence, we're wondering, does God even love me? Does God even care for me? Does God want me to change at all? That's how God's delay is disorienting to us. Because we will wonder and question the basic things that we hold and believe about who God is. And so in other words, what happens when God delays, that causes confusion. It's hard because we are a people of faith. We look at our faith with great joy and great pride and great identity. It's important to us because faith is how we know God. And very clearly from this passage, faith is how we experience healing. So when God delays, we're going to be calling everything we, be we believe about faith and about God into question. So when our faith is challenged like this it confuses us and so one of the things we see in this passage is actually we see this thing this twice we see the the fact that jesus says to the woman we also see this to jarius that your faith has made you well now, and, there, and I want to pause right there because there is a distorted uh, teaching that, is, uh, that exists today within global Christianity, but also very specifically American Christianity. And this distorted teaching uh, says this, that if you have enough faith, then you will be healed. And that could be, you could fill in the blank with whatever healing you're looking for. If it's physical, if it's financial, if it's spiritual or emotional, if you have enough faith, you will experience victory over the sin. If you have enough faith, then God will give you the financial provision you're looking for, and so on. That is a, that it's a lie, a distorted teaching in this passage and other passages. But, but I want to be clear, that is false hope. That is false hope. And when you offer false hope like that, then others pay for that false hope with subsequent feelings of shame, defeat, and despair when healing does not come. And when healing does not come, and this is, let's be honest here, when healing does not come, then God is delaying. That's what's going on. But when we buy into that false hope, then we're going to actually say, it's my fault. I don't have enough faith. But this passage is actually has less to do with the quantity of faith in these two people, of Jairus or this woman. What's really going on is this passage is about the object of their faith. That we see that it doesn't 
so much matter about the amount of faith that the woman has. It's the fact that she's putting her faith in Jesus. That's where the healing is. It's for Jairus, it's that he's putting his faith in Jesus. And so, like, this is going back to our question. Why does God delay at this point? And let let me make this very clear. Why does God delay? So perhaps God is delaying in your life because he wants to correct your faith in a similar way that he is correcting the woman's helplessness. He, he wants you to see, in other words, that he is not the person you come to to get salvation. He wants you to see that he is your salvation. That he's not the one whom you come to to get help. He is your helper. That is who Jesus is. So if, Jesus, if God is delaying, God wants you to come to him as your helper. He wants you to see him and to recognize him and to experience him as your helper. That's one reason why God may be delaying in your life. Perhaps God is delaying in your life because he wants you to truly understand who he is. And this is in a different way than the woman just, just saying to herself, if I only touch Jesus' garment. The, 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 when we, later on, when we see Jesus arriving, not, he's not even arriving, but he's, we see this in verse uh, 35. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? Let me just pause right there. Jairus has came to Jesus because Jesus is this known teacher and he is this known miracle worker. To Jairus, that's who Jesus is. And we see his friends and his associates reflecting that attitude for us. So perhaps... And actually, at this point, this is something we see elsewhere. In John 11, um, Jesus, in a very similar situation, Jesus' friend Lazarus dies. Jesus then receives the report. But instead of going straight to Bethany to the house of Mary and Martha to comfort his friends, Jesus delays. He waits three days, and then he arrives at Mary and Martha's house. But when Jesus arrives, how his, how his arrival is announced is, the teacher has come. The point is, is that perhaps God is delaying in, in your life because he doesn't want you to just see him as the teacher. Perhaps God is delaying in your life to challenge your view of him. And what we see, we see this lived out for Jairus because Jesus demonstrates that he's not just a teacher. He's more than that. Jesus clearly demonstrates to the crowd and even to Jairus that Jesus could heal his daughter from her disease. And how do we know that? Because Jairus receives confirmation that Jesus can heal because Jesus healed this woman who has not been helped by doctors or professionals or treatments or anything. Jesus heals her. So Jairus has confirmation that Jesus is a healer. But what Jesus wants Jairus to see, what Jesus wants Peter and James and John to see, is that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That Jesus delays healing Jairus' daughter so that Jesus can actually perform a greater miracle than healing this girl's illness. The point is that Jesus can work miracles, Jesus can work healings, but he is also the one who can make dead people alive again. That is significant. Jesus is the one who is the renewal and the restoration of all things. And if you look throughout the Gospels, 
There's the resurrection of Jairus' daughter. There's the resurrection of, of Lazarus. And there's Jesus' resurrection himself. I believe there's another resurrection as well. But there's only four resurrections throughout the entire Gospels. And Jesus wants us to see that Jesus is greater, is able to work a greater miracle than just answering our quick prayers. Or Jesus answering our prayers over a season of life. Jesus wants us to to see that he can work a greater miracle. And so sometimes God delays to provide a greater miracle. Perhaps you're here, you're here today and you're crying out to God to rescue you from something. And, and you're in, you find yourself in the same boat with Jairus because you see God answering that prayer to a friend of yours, but he's not answering that prayer for you. So perhaps if that's where you are today, perhaps God is looking to answer your prayers in a greater way than you can ever dare to hope or imagine because that is his love for you. God loves you more than you can ever hope or imagine or even fathom. And, so, and we see this in Jairus' life because Jairus goes home. His, he, his daughter's dead, but Jesus resurrects her from the grave. He, Jairus experiences a greater revelation upon who he is, and how, that is only possible. That was only possible through God delaying to work in Jairus' life. God delays. And so when God delays, we, we are waiting upon God. Yes, that's confusing. Yes, that's disorienting. Yes, that's challenging. But in that delay, and when we are waiting, we, it will, when we are truly dependent upon God, it will always deepen our love for him. It will deepen his beauty. It will deepen his friendship. As we wait upon God to act, we are going to discover who he truly is. We'll discover who he, what he is truly capable of, and we'll witness how deep his love goes for us. Let's pray.